Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. I'm your host, Paula Jenkins. I invite you to join me as we explore how inspiring people have chosen joy in their lives and what they have to share with us about how to jumpstart joy in the world. Plus, how do we follow our own hearts, find work that lights us up while mindfully noticing the role joy plays in our own journey. Hello and welcome to episode 118. This is Paula Jenkins, the host of Jumpstart Your Joy. This week on the show, I am so excited to be talking to illusionist and magician Vitaly Beckman. He's joining me to share all about the crossroads of illusion, magic, and joy. He started exploring the art of magic at age 14 and soon after began creating his own illusions. More recently, Vitaly was featured on Penn & Teller's TV show, Fool Us, and he was one of the few contestants who fooled them. (laughs) He now has a show of his very own called Evening of Wonders. He was born in Belarus and grew up in Israel, and he mixes art and magic, and I just adore his take on joy and seeing things through a child's eye. What I know you're going to love about this interview is Vitaly's take on how he sees and approaches magic and illusions, and that it is just so applicable to our lives. He looks at it all from a place of wonder and joy, and I really love how he explains his deep-seated curiosity for the world around him. Before we get to the interview this week, I want to express my thanks for tuning in each week. I am so glad that you are here. Jumpstart Your Joy is a show that looks at people choosing joy, even when it's the hardest choice they'll ever make. If you're new to the show and you like what you hear this week, you can find Jumpstart Your Joy on iTunes, Google Play Music, and Spotify. Just search for Jumpstart Your Joy and be sure to hit subscribe so that you'll get each episode downloaded to your mobile device when new episodes come out every Tuesday morning. If you want to find out more about the show and get signed up for my free Joy Plus You e-course, you can get all of that information along with show notes for this specific episode at jumpstartyourjoy.com. Without further ado, let's get on to the interview with Vitaly Beckman. Welcome to the podcast today. I am so excited to have Vitaly Beckman. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, Vitaly. Thank you, Paula. Thank you. Oh, it's a real treat to have you here. Before we get to what you do, let's talk about what did you love most as a child? What were your earliest sparks of joy? I loved to paint and uh, I uh, loved the uh, arts in general. My parents had um, uh, collections of famous paintings that they used to show me. And early on, they saw that I have talent in painting and they thought I'm going to be a painter one day. But, uh, you know, that was when I was seven, eight and then I did martial arts and I loved movies and I admired people like Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris, you know. So I loved all of that kind of world. I was very introverted otherwise. Hmm. But uh, yeah, nothing unusual for a kid, I would say. Yeah. Well, but maybe the only piece is that is different than, I mean, my own background is where you were born and where you were raised. Do you want to tell us a little bit about where you're from? Sure. I was born in Belarus, or at that time, Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, you know, so I, my first language is Russian. And uh, then I, I moved uh, when I was eight to Israel with my family. I grew up there and I am currently talking to you from Vancouver, Canada. 
Mm. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I love Israel. I've only been there once, but it is wow, what a difference in landscape and whatnot from I imagine from Belarus. Yes, you know, I don't have too much memory from Belarus because I was okay. only eight. But yeah, I, I think it was a lot of snow there. So and we actually <laughs> just have snow in Vancouver, believe it or not, which is a rarity. Yeah, because you guys are on the West Coast, so you're you're right. That would be more yeah. in line with like Seattle. <laughs> Seattle, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, would you like to explain what it is that you do now and what your day job is? <laughs> <laughs> My day job is an illusionist. So I uh, tour with a show called uh, Vitali Evening of Wonders. Currently, it uh, plays in Canada and US, and um, it's a full evening show where art comes to life. Uh, make pictures and photographs come to life on stage. People get involved. I make uh, people driver's licenses. Their picture come to life or disappear or change to another picture on their driver's license. You know, and of course, uh, all kinds of uh, illusions that uh, involve the audience in other ways. I have a paintbrush that paints by itself. Somebody thinks of a design in the audience and the paintbrush duplicates that design, for example. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's all original illusions that I create. And uh, it's a lot of fun and very audience interactive. Oh, that sounds so awesome. Well, and I have to call out, it sounds like that original love of painting, it gets pulled through in what you do with your illusions as well. Yes, I guess so. Uh, I was uh, used to paint, as I mentioned, and when I was about 14, 15, I started doing magic. And slowly the painting stopped. And the magic took over from there. However, the painting found its place in the magic. So I started to develop a lot of the illusions around the painting and other art forms as well. But um, I actually look at creating magic or performing on stage as a form of a painting. Because uh, you have a vision and you create it. You just use a slightly different medium, the way you present it. But it's very similar in in a sense that you have to express your vision in an artistic way. But of course, I, I have pictures, uh, drawings. I make drawings that come out of a page. Mm-hmm. Objects come out of a page and a paintbrush that paints by itself. And so there is actually, yeah, like you said, there's actual painting that's involved in, in the show. Yeah, I love the, can I call them tricks or what do you refer to them as? Um, I call them uh, illusions or uh, acts. Uh, you can call them tricks. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> okay. <you know. laughs> I don't want to insult anyone by calling them a I, trick, but one of oh, the illusions. No. I think the word trick uh, has many uh, negative connotations, like you can trick someone in a negative way, steal someone's watch, or, you know, and that's not uh, what's my goal on stage. So I think uh, an illusion or a performing art is more appropriate because you create a, you tell a story with magic and you create a, an experience that audience, that where the impossible seems to be possible. So, you know, hopefully you like it more than just a trick, but I don't, I'm not sure we got offended here. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I like, I like that you've kind of established there what the, what, from your field, what the difference is. Cause I think we all get used to talking about magicians and tricks and, and I think you're right. Like it's so much different and there's so much more that goes into the illusion than it just mm-hmm. being a simple moment thing. Because I mean, the, the other wonderful thing about watching an illusionist in the audience is that you're really transported away. And like for days, weeks, even years, sometimes afterwards, you're like, how did they do that? <laughs> yes, so yeah, right. It's not momentary. <laughs> Absolutely. It can stay in your memory. Yeah. Well, and I especially 
there's two that I've seen in the um, you know, looking into what you do and the one where you draw a leaf and then it actually becomes a leaf and you uh-huh. can pull it off the page. That is so, so breathtaking. I will Thank not you. ask how you do these things, of course, but how mm-hmm. do you come up with the ideas for these illusions? I usually have a vision and then I try to find a way to make it come true, to accomplish it. And the leaf you mentioned was actually the first perhaps, or one of the first magical wishes I had as a kid. When I used to paint, I uh, sometimes used to dream that I wish my paintings would come true. I watched a cartoon on TV and uh, there was a cat that used to draw stuff and then bring those objects to life. Like he used to draw a bag of money, a bag of cash, and it <laughs> came out of the drawing. And it was, I was so fascinated. I thought, oh, I wish I could do stuff like that. So when I started to dabble in magic when I was 14, 15, that's the first thing I wanted to create when I realized I can create something new and original. That's what I wanted to do, to draw a leaf and or something and to, to make mm. it come, come out of a page. So that's one of the first uh, tricks or illusions that I created. Mm. Yeah, because there's that moment where you're like, no, no way. Like, there's no way you just did that. Yeah. Well, and is that kind of the process, the same process that you find yourself in for other illusions? Does it start with a vision or is it different each time? Yeah, like 90% of the time, the approach is first you dream the concept and only then you try to come up with the method. But it has to be something that really inspires me. It's difficult to invent something you're not truly passionate about. So I have to think of something so incredible that I will become really passionate about achieving it. You know, it can be just something cool or good enough because it's very difficult to create an original illusion from scratch. It's very hard and it's very time consuming. And so sometimes, you know, it takes sleepless nights and long hours in order to be able to spend so much energy and work on it, it cannot be just a cool idea. It has to be something that you're truly passionate about, something that once it's achieved, it's almost like, you know, almost like you give birth to a child in a sense. Like it's a lot of effort, spend a lot of time, a lot of energy. So I spend a lot of time on finding an idea that's going to really drive me, motivate me. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, and I imagine a lot of people in the creative arts, whatever that is, it's the same thing. Like, once you find that thing that you're super passionate about, it's easy to get lost in it. And it's also probably the thing that's going to be the idea that makes it through to being what like becomes reality, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of those, especially in the, what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to create an illusion that the impossible is possible. And if you think about it, that's already impossible. That's an oxymoron. So you have to spend so much thought and energy to really think how you can achieve it. To do that, you really have to be like fully focused, you know, like a ray of light. You have to completely be focused on the task. That's the only way to do it. Yeah, I like that. Be like a ray of light. (laughs) Are there any big illusions that you've tried, but have, I don't know, have just not come to fruition yet for you? Yeah, I have a bank of ideas. and. Some of the ideas in that bank are like 10, 20 years now. And so I keep (laughs) trying some of them and uh, yeah, it can be like that long. So I I keep thinking about them. And once in a while, I get a breakthrough with one of the ideas and then I work on it. So yeah, uh, there were quite many that 
I couldn't um, accomplish yet, but there, I'm still working on them. At the same time, there were quite many that I did accomplish. So because yeah. I challenged myself and every time I try to think of something more difficult. So, you know, I cannot tell you that I can do anything. You know, it's, I can do anything, but it just takes time. Right. So. Yeah. Well, and, and I like that, that you're leaving each of the things, each of the illusions kind of, it sounds like their own space. Like they'll come to fruition when their time is right, if they do, yeah. but you're not forcing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I try to force them, but if it doesn't go, you know, what can you do? You, <laughs> sometimes you have to, you know, think outside of a box and let it go. And like you say, you know, give it some space. Yeah. Hmm. That's cool. I hadn't really mm. thought of illusions being that way, but that's that's neat that they kind of they get birthed like any other creative process. Yeah, it's just like any other creative process. It's uh, mm. but Very it's cool. also impossible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and what are some of the most I don't know amusing to you reactions that you've gotten about some of your illusions? Oh boy! Uh, like in because the show is interactive, uh, I never know what kind of reaction I'm gonna get from the audience. I had people mm-hmm. freak out. I had people run off the stage within seconds. They were back to their seat in the middle of the audience. Like I, you know, I didn't have a chance to blink, and they literally did a disappearance act from the stage. I had you know people start dancing on stage. Uh, the most some of the most craziest reactions you can think of, which yeah. is sometimes very funny. Yeah, well, and I'll, I'll link up in the show notes to some of the things out there that are video so people can see these illusions because there is that moment where you're like, uh, no way. Like, and I, <laughs> I can only imagine that most people, it's kind of the absolute surprise of the unexpected that then they don't even necessarily have the words or the emotions to display what they're feeling. <laughs> right, right, which is what we all love. That's, uh, it's like when you bring audience members uh, on stage or whether they remain in the audience, it's like a reality TV show because it's, you know, it's real emotions, real people. And the reaction is just can be sometimes so incredible, so real. And it's like, wow. And that's the power of a show like that that can involve the audience and do magic, you know, because, well, I mean, I truly believe that any art form can achieve that. Mm-hmm. But it seems to be the magic shows really tend to go for that sense of wonder more yeah. than other art forms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. And it's, especially if you're doing something that involves close work where somebody's near you as you're performing it, there's something mm-hmm. so intimate about that. And I don't know that we all get the experience of running into that in our everyday. Like, I usually know what to expect when I'm going to like work. <laughs> I'm not often that surprised. <laughs> so, um, That's, true. That's true. But it's yeah. a good surprise, right? Yeah. Yeah, but, it really is. Well, and I wonder because it, yeah, because it does seem like there's a range of different kinds of illusionists. Like when I'm thinking of the ones that I know, like David Copperfield is obviously big and not really, I don't know, I'd say not as approachable, but I think is it Doug Henning? He did kind of, I don't know, closer, more intimate shows. I remember I went to his show as a child and was just blown away. And then he met the entire audience afterward and was signing things. And I don't know. How did you decide how much interaction you wanted with the audience? Because I think that changes the nature of what you probably do. Right. I love to engage the audience, whether I physically bring them up on stage or whether they remain in their seats. Regardless of that, I want them to feel like they're part of the show. And uh, I really want to make sure that every second they feel engaged. 
whether they're, again, physically with me, next to me or not. And even if it's a, a television show, there are ways to present it in such a way that the audience at home will feel engaged, like they will feel like they're almost there. And of course, when you're, like you said, close up and next to me, it's even better. You get to really be physically part of it. I think it's really important as far as how much of it. You know what? It's really, it can be sometimes the whole show can be interactive, sometimes a portion of it. I really think it's um, how entertaining the show is more important rather than, you know, how much uh, you're physically next to me yeah. or taking part. Yeah. yeah. It's not that important. Yeah, but I do love I do love to involve the audience. It makes it more fun for me because it's uh, every time it's different people and their reactions are different and uh, you, I don't know what to expect as well. So it's more interesting for me that way. My audience are my partner, right, on stage. Mm. So, you know, a big part of the show is basically uh, based on them and how they're going to respond. And But I plan in, uh, this journey for them to undertake which, you know, is designed to be a lot of fun for everyone. And I imagine, too, there's something about your work and the work of an illusionist that it is an invitation to people to step in to a place of joy. I mean, really, and I think that's one of the things that's so interesting about kind of this show and your work is like, it's an invitation for everyday joy that we don't get to, I mean, like I was saying, like, I don't experience that necessarily, that kind of surprise and wonder at work daily. Mm. How do you see kind of the, this might be kind of a strange question, but how do you see the crossroads of like joy and illusion? Well, illusion can evoke a sense of wonder, a sense of mystery. And joy can be part of it, but not necessarily. I think joy is, uh, you know, a basic human need. And uh, we can experience it from different moments in life. It doesn't have to be even watching a magic or show. We can just sit at home and be joyful from, you know, be, maybe being alive. Uh, as simple as that. Uh, what's nice about art or theater or magic specifically is that it can remind us how to be present and in the moment. Because when you see something impossible, Suddenly, it looks possible to you. It shifts something in, in your mind. It brings you back to, to reality in the sense of, hey, you know, something is amazing happening right now at this moment, and I should pay attention. And you feel more alive. You, it reminds you that maybe you don't know everything about life, and there are still mysteries out there. Because we as adults, we oftentimes tend to think that we know everything, and we you know, we've seen everything. And that's the problem. How can you be present and in the moment when you think that way? Mm. You know, you have to keep that sense of curiosity, sense of wonder. And like children have when everywhere you look, for a child, it looks um, something fresh and new and it's wondrous. But uh, the moment a child starts to grow up, Right away, he he becomes like adults in the sense that oh, I, you've seen that before. He doesn't want to be a child anymore, and but that's the problem in general. Maybe perhaps with the with this subject that um, we all want to grow up, and I think we should uh, keep our sense of uh, wonder uh, like we had as a as a kid for to, so we can pay attention to the present and see wonder 
keep seeing wonder in simple things. You know, it can be joyful simply to to be alive, to breathe, to move. You know, as simple as that, it can be joyful. And theater art can remind us of that, how to do that again. Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's mm-hmm. easy to, to forget those, just the basic gifts of being alive. <laughs> Especially when, yeah. I love that you pointed out, when you think that you, as an adult, we think that we know everything. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, we do, I, including myself. Uh, everyone is like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really human nature. It is. And we're obviously praised for it as children. As we get older, oh, you're so grown up. But then, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there is good in everything. We don't want to be a kid when we are adults, but everything has to be within limits. So if we become adults to the point that we don't see the sense of wonder anymore, that's a bit of an extreme. But if you're completely, you know, we didn't really grow up at all. That's really, you know, you can't live like that as well. It's the balance, of course. Yeah, it really is. You mentioned a little bit about doing shows in various formats, but I really appreciated that you you got to be on Fool Us with Penn and Teller. Would you like to tell us a little bit about that experience? Uh, sure. Yeah, Fool Us is a great show. Um, <laughs> yes, it really uh, is. <laughs> it's those who do not know. It's a show where um, magicians uh, try to stump Penn and Teller. They travel from sometimes uh, all over the world and uh, perform a one act for Penn and Teller. And they have to guess whether they know the method, how it works, and not. Now, not to ruin or spoil the pleasure to the audience, they speak in code. So they're going to say things like with me, it was, they were talking about baseball, implying that they, you know, they know how. I did my act, but in reality, of course, it wasn't baseball. It was something entirely different. And uh, it's a fun show. There's a lot of secrecy in it. So when I was on the show, I did not know who else was uh, competing. And until maybe I saw one or two of them in the buffet at the Rio, where we were staying at the Rio in Las Vegas. And then like, oh, I know this guy. He's on the show as well. But uh, it was really well organized. The team made sure that Penn and Teller doesn't know who is competing. So we were, um, before the taping, for example, we were in the basement, hidden. There were five magicians mm. for each taping, I think. And um, one by one, we had to go up to the studio, do a rehearsal, and then come back to the basement and keep hidden in the basement again until uh, we film. And when we film, same thing. Uh, each person in its turn had to go up to the studio, film, perform in front of uh, Penn and Teller and uh, 1,400 or I don't know how many, uh, maybe it was less, um, in front of the live audience mm-hmm. there. And then uh, the moment is filmed, when I fooled them and I got a trophy, mm-hmm. they took the trophy away and they escorted me right out of their studio so that other contestants will not see, will not know whether I succeeded or not. So it's, it remains complete secrecy, you know, and I got the trophy later, but, uh, <laughs> but it was really well put together. And the, I have to say that the team of the show is very special in a sense that they're all fans of magic. Some of the people in the crew who filmed the show are actual magicians and others just big fans. And it makes the whole experience much more enjoyable because it, they're not just you don't feel like you're just, they're doing their job. They're truly, you know, they're truly passionate about everything they film there. And it's, it really makes the whole experience 
really incredible. Mm, that is neat. And I'm sure it makes all of you feel that much more like, I don't know, both special, but also welcomed into this space where you're going to perform something that uh, imaginably has taken most of the people on the show quite some time to create or, you know, however it is mm -hmm. that they go about creating their, their illusion. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of investment for each person there. And that's, it's a big deal yes. to be on the show, but it's also a lot of your work that's on the line as well. Yes. Uh, and so when you do a really good job, it's uh, very uh, satisfying. And uh, of course, uh, performing in front of Penn and Teller in general, it's very, it's a great honor because these guys are, uh, are you know, masters in their craft and uh, very well known and respected within magic community. Teller is considered to be one of the uh, biggest minds in magic. He knows, you know, the, the history and he knows magic. He's a fantastic, one of the best magicians in the world, in my opinion. So it's a great honor to perform for them just in general and to share uh, original creations with these two people is, uh, is a great honor. Yeah. Did you get to spend more time with them after your act, if you will? Or do you get basically your, your, <laughs> you're ushered away and you don't really get any face time with them? Yeah, you are ushered away on the TV show. But because I uh, fooled them, I had a chance to go back and perform with them in their live show. And then we spent uh, some time after the show uh, in the backstage area. Oh, neat. So, That's cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you, um, going into it, do you know the, once you're like backstage in the green room, do you know the five that you're competing with or against or whatever for the episode? Or is it kind of still yes. not clear? Yeah, we, they're all sitting together, but you only find out once you start filming. So once you, you know, a couple of hours, you arrive before the filming for the rehearsal. And once you're there, then you see everybody. So, yeah, mm -hmm. but you have no idea beforehand unless you do some, you know, spy work. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> clearly. Yeah, it's interesting because I noticed that the MC wears the same outfit, it seems like, for every yes. show. So I wondered if there was some, I don't know, something behind there that, like, I don't know if there was some reason yes. she was doing that. The reason is because they don't uh, show the episode as they film them. They film all of the, they sometimes film two episodes per day, and they film them all in maybe two weeks. Okay. And uh, then they rearrange them. So the people you see on the show are not necessarily the people that were taped on the same night or the same day. Ah, that makes that's sense. Why, that's, yeah. Before that, they had Jonathan Ross uh, uh -huh. hosting that show. And he was wearing also the same suit, but I think nobody commented on it because it's more, uh, it's less visible for a guy to, to wear the same <laughs> suit. But Right. But, you know, but when Alison Hannigan had to wear a blue or red dress, everybody noticed, why, why is she wearing the same dress? I know. But of course, it's just TV policies. That's how TV is filmed, you know. Yeah. No, that's funny. <laughs> well, and it's funny that that becomes a topic of, you're right, both a, a man, it doesn't make so much of a difference in a suit, but a woman's dress. Yeah, like everyone's notice. like, what is so she wearing? Penn Teller, yeah. Penn and Teller are also wearing the same type of suit. I mean, I bet they, it's probably not the very same suit every episode. It just looks the same, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Thank you for setting some yeah. light on that non-magic no <laughs> related no topic. Problem. Uh, well, and congratulations for fooling them. Thank you. The illusion is amazing and jaw-dropping. So I'll link up to that thank for people you, as well. You. Is that same illusion one that you do in your evening show? I do. I often include it because people, even some people haven't seen it and people who saw it uh, on Penn & Teller told me they, uh, they thought it's even better live. 
so mm-hmm. I, I decided to keep it. And it's, uh, I have a whole string of illusions, like I mentioned. So it starts with photographs and then it moves to audience photographs where I borrow. So five years ago, I was borrowing people's uh, photographs. And then when cell phone became so popular that everybody had a cell phone, people stopped carrying their photographs. And I, I decided to try it with driver's licenses, which actually is more difficult because driver's licenses, you know, not only it's a photograph of somebody, it's mm-hmm. also illegal document. You know, right. to, do, to do something that's here right, would be illegal. So it's much more challenging for me. And I collect a, a whole bunch of driver's licenses and I change people's faces from one person to his neighbor or to a famous person or just remove his license, uh, his photo, I mean, from the license. And that's uh, kind of so far the most difficult thing I've done with photographs. Uh, but I also do things with drawings and with paintings and with um, things that, that I, I do things with, like you mentioned, leaf. Uh, right now I'm trying to put a new thing in the show that involves a branch a branch of leaves. I love to use organic and nature kind of uh, objects that are very relatable and but still you can do something beautiful and artistic with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure it's interesting both when it's something that's so familiar to people, but also when it's so unique, like meaning there's only one of my you know, my photo in my driver's license. So I'm sure people are especially delighted when you're playing with their images. Cause that just, that blows your mind and you can't, you can't figure it out. Like you, it completely blows you away when you see someone do that. Cause how did you do it? I'm not, and I'm not going to ask, but that's of course (laughs) the reaction. (laughs) But, but yeah, absolutely. I agree. You know, it's one thing when you see something happening on stage, like you make a car disappear. It's another thing that it, that it's so personal to you. It's your own photograph on your driver's license. Uh, that's so personal. And um, I love to, you know, like I mentioned, to engage the audience in such a personal way that it's not just something cool. It's something that they will keep thinking about it for, you know, uh, for a long time, hopefully. And that uh, a lot of people don't want their uh, photograph back. You know, they're so amazed. They want to keep it that way <laughs> when they get their driver's license back. So. It's a good souvenir. <laughs> yeah. Well, and do you, I assume you put them back to whatever they were when you end out the show? No, I don't. They have to drive, take uh, the bus home or uh, bring a driver, take a, you know, secondary driver that's awesome. with them. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. A lot of them don't want it back, you know. They like, if I put George Clooney on, on someone's driver's license. Uh-huh. He wants to keep it that way. I, I, you know, a lot of people say, "Oh no, I don't. seriously!" You would be surprised how many people just happy with something different on their driver's license. Yeah. Well, and it's really—I mean, isn't it kind of a reminder and like almost a touchstone back to something? I could see it being a reminder of let's keep ourselves open to wonder and curiosity. Like, I don't know that I would want to erase that either. <laughs> Absolutely. You might change your mind if you're being pulled over by a police officer, but overall, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ma'am, this does not look like you. You are not Julia Roberts. <laughs> Ma'am, where is your face? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's so funny. It seems like one of the discussions, 
even on the Penn and Teller show, you talk a little bit about, you know, everyone has an iPad and all that. And he makes a reference back to you using, yeah, I think he even says like, it's unique that you're using something like photographs because people don't carry those anymore. Have you attempted things with iPads or is it, I would imagine that loses some of the, the wonder people would assume whether yeah, you've just yeah. animated that in. Yeah, so the illusion you saw on Penn & Teller, that one was created just before iPads were uh, invented or were made popular. Mm -hmm. So when I did that illusion in 2010, it was when the bus was moving, it created an even bigger reaction from the audience. Nowadays, it's still amazing and it gets a reaction, but a lot of them think maybe it's an iPad. It is only when I show that it's an actual photograph and not an iPad that's like, oh my God, people are really amazed. But uh, I do think that using technology can take away from the magic. Not that it cannot be done, but I really try to do things um, with objects like, you know, a piece of paper, a piece of photograph, or something that is obviously cannot be technological. I think it's uh, the simpler it is, the more amazing it is. Mm-hmm. And because you know, we all, you know, magic, we all have iPads and all that. So it uh, yeah. takes away. I love that. Yeah. Well, and, and I wondered if that had come into like, I don't know, I guess probably people's dis, what, the suspension of of disbelief may have shifted a little bit with more tech being readily available to all of us. But then I would, th- you're right, it is interesting though, when you then pull it out of its sleeve and everyone's like, oh, but that's just a regular you know, Kodak picture. There's a wow factor there. So so that basically they become even more amazed than before because they trick themselves thinking, oh, it's probably an iPad. And then when I show them that it's a photograph, they're more amazed than say in 2010. When I did it, they were like, oh my God, it's moving. You know, it cannot, because iPads were not on their minds yet. Mm -hmm. So, but the result is the same. I do think that, um, like you said, it it does take away if you use a, an iPad, but there are still ways to use iPads, and I feel I've seen magicians use iPads in magic, and it can be still uh, amazing. But I like to keep things simple. I like to, like I mentioned, you know, I think the simple it is, the better, the more direct it is. You know. Mm, yeah, I agree. Well, I don't know. Are there some illusions that you have seen out there that either? blew you away and you know like you just couldn't figure that out if you tried or one that you wish you could replicate i definitely saw uh many many great illusions that mm-hmm. i did not know how they work and i love that i usually don't want to replicate something i see uh but i really try to create something that hasn't been done before and i look at magic in that way as a art of expression that I can express my imagination by creating stuff that I envision. But when I started doing magic when I was 14, 15, I saw some incredible magic done by magicians like David Copperfield and Penn and & Teller and Siegfried and & Roy. And uh, a lot of that magic influenced later some of the ideas I had. Like um, there was a, an illusion, for instance, where uh, a drawing of a playing card moved on a pad and you know it kind of animated and uh, i was so blown away i I remember the feelings i had watching magic before i knew how any of that was done and i think that's what maybe inspired some of the illusions later with drawings and with photographs of course that's not the only piece that was inspired but all of that memory that i had when i was a kid and i was really blown away 
by magic. A lot of it still stays in my mind when I create new illusions because I want to, that's the kind of feeling I want to create. Well, and I wonder, I guess, more about the mechanics too of like, I could see, I'm guessing you're kind of one of the mechanical minds where you're like, ooh, how did he do that? Or how did she do that? Like, how did that actually work? And maybe not that you want to replicate the specifics of it, but just the, you know, it's kind of like, how do you build a, mm-hmm. you know, robot if you were into that? Like, <laughs> you might not build the same yeah. one, but just like, how did that work? <laughs> yeah, I do think of that sometime, but not always. Sometimes I just, I just sit back and enjoy, especially mm-hmm. if it's an incredible illusion I haven't seen before. Maybe on the second or third viewing, I try to think, okay, let's, I wonder how, how did that work? But a lot of times I don't. It depends. There are definitely moments where I uh, had, uh, when I was thinking that I do have um, a degree in mechanical engineering. So I did study mechanical engineering, but can tell you that it was much of a help. It was mostly differential mathematics and equations and not so really uh, things you can use in reality, you know, but yeah, sometimes I think, I think how this, you know, I wonder how that works, Yeah, but well, it's a lot it's probably, of fun and it's, it's even more fun when you don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm thinking to myself too, like how lovely that you can also sit back and enjoy, like that it hasn't become something where you just want to analyze it, but that you can also still remain in the awe and wonder of other illusionists just as any other audience member. I think that's that's also remarkable. Yeah, and I think it's very important because like I mentioned earlier, it's one of my challenges is to create a really, really great concept before creating something, just a concept. And in order to do that, you have to have true appreciation of what can be amazing to an audience, which is to yourself as well. If you become jaded that you all think of everything in terms of how it works, and then you lose sight of the impact it can create on people. And um, that will, you know, be an obstacle to really seeing what's going to be effective. You, you know, I think it's far more important to have that appreciation than to have complete understanding of how everything works. Once you have a true, true vision of something incredible you want to achieve, you know, you'll just work harder trying to come up with methods. But I think it's very important to have that, to keep that sense of wonder, to to keep that freshness, not to try to figure out everything. Yeah, I think that's a, like a great lesson for everyone around not to, I don't know, it's so easy to get jaded, like you said, and be like, yeah, I can figure that out. And then you don't really enjoy yeah. <laughs> the moment or exactly. the magic of it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's fun. You can't stop people from, it's part of the fun that they try to figure it out, figure it out right? But if, if that's all you do, if all you do is just try to figure it out, then you, you really lose the fun. Mm, yeah. Well, would you like to tell us a little bit about where people can find you? I know you're on an international tour right now. And maybe, I don't know if you know of some of your dates in January. I know. Yeah, you know, I will. Be. I would love to catch your show live, but... <laughs> <laughs> where where yes. are you going to be? So, so January, I'm in New York, but I'm there for a conference. And from there, I'm going to Wisconsin. Uh, I'll be doing shows in Milwaukee and Baraboo, Wisconsin, January 26 and 28. And then uh, February 8, I will be in Clearwater Casino in Washington. And then I'm going to be in Springfield, Illinois, 
February 11, and uh, Lake Michigan College, February 16, I think. February 18, I'll be in the Berman Center in Detroit. I will have some shows in Canada in March. I'll be in uh, Coquitlam and Maple Ridge in British Columbia, and I'll be in Ottawa, Shankman Center in Ottawa in Ontario, North Bay, and I will also be in uh, Branson, Missouri in April. I'll be there for three weeks. Oh, fun. So, uh, yeah. That's a good... And the uh, touring okay. schedule can be found on my website. Okay, great. I will link up uh-huh. to that for anyone that wants to find more and and see some of your amazing work, even if it's just in video form, if they can't get there. Sure. Well, let's get to the last couple questions. This has been so much fun. I'm, I've enjoyed getting to have you on the show. <laughs> Where have you seen resistance come up in your life and how have you overcome it? I think uh, resistance probably for me comes up. It's always internal. It's always something that I have to overcome within me. Like, you know, if I get lazy or if I, uh, if I don't want to do something and I have to force myself to do it, I think, you know, personal kind of issues probably. I think in general, most of our resistance comes from within, you know. And for example, coming up with ideas becomes more and more challenging as well, because every time I try to come up with something I have never done before, and uh, the concept is completely new, and to keep coming up with ideas like that and making them a reality becomes more and more challenging. I demand more of myself and it becomes really, really tough. But uh, that's part of the fun as well when I, when I do manage, when I succeed to overcome it. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can be our own worst critic or like the internal, you know, what? The inner critic comes up loud and strong whenever we try something new. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, I like to kill that critic. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I just go with the flow. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And then last, and the the question I ask everyone is, what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? I think first of all, you have to listen to your gut and follow your dreams, regardless of uh, what other people say or recommend, because each of us have our own path. And what works for one person will not necessarily work for another. And um, I think that's really important. And I think it's important in order to share the joy with others, you have to have it yourself. So it's important to treat yourself and dedicate enough time for yourself so we can feel joyful. You know, only there we can share it with others. And uh, finally, I would say to stay away from negativity because whether it's negative people or watching too much news, I think all of this is not good and not too afraid to follow your passion. It's maybe four. (laughs) It's all right. (laughs) Oh, it's perfect. Four is actually my favorite number, so that's perfect. Okay. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Vitaly. Thank you, Paula. Thank you. It's been so much fun. Great questions. (laughs) Thank you. Vitaly, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your journey and your story with all of us. If you want to get links to see Vitaly's tour dates for Evening of Wonders and see the footage of his illusions, you can find all of this at his website at eveningofwonders.com. And if you want to get other information, you can find the show notes for this specific episode 
at jumpstartyourjoy.com slash episode 118. If you've enjoyed this interview and you haven't yet subscribed to Jumpstart Your Joy, you can do that on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. The easiest way to find a place to subscribe is right from the website, jumpstartyourjoy.com, where you'll see a subscribe dropdown from the top navigation. Those links will take you right to iTunes or an Android-based site where you can subscribe to the show. It also means a lot to me to get your reviews, so please leave them. I do read each and every one, and thank you. Next week on the podcast, I am thrilled to have Emily Levy joining me. Emily is the 24-year-old CEO and founder of Mighty Well, a wellness company that makes products for people with chronic illness. Emily was diagnosed with neurological Lyme disease as a sophomore in college and made her first product shortly thereafter, after having her first pick line put in and not being thoroughly satisfied with the recommendation by her doctor to put a cut up sock over the pick line to protect it. She sought a more beautiful way to cover the pick line that fit in with the carefree collegiate lifestyle she imagined for herself. I love her story, her courage, and her vision for creating a company that helps people with chronic illness by providing products and community to help them live a better, more normal life. I hope that you'll come back next week to hear all about Emily's story. And until then, may your days be filled with so much joy.